This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Ed Reed. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, as you may have gathered, I'm not Europe editor Alistair Thomas. My uh, my room is more Africa and energy, but I am uh, joined today by uh, Asia editor Damon Evans and digital journalist Hamish Penman. Damon, we're going to start with you. Uh, the the mood seems to be changing in 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 Japan and South Korea around around nuclear and around. Uh, a potential return for nuclear and, and maybe a move away from LNG, obviously sort of playing into the, the broader energy security questions that we're all talking about. Yeah, certainly, Ed, that's right. Uh, nuclear appears to be creeping back into vogue in, in South Korea, definitely, and potentially Japan. Uh, South Korea elected a new president earlier this month, early March, and um, he's made no secret of his, his desire to undo the previous government's nuclear phase-out policies previous government was very pro LNG. Um, LNG is a good source of uh, imported energy for South Korea, which is uh, domestically short on uh, domestic production of oil and gas, etc. Um, and and now he's and now so the new president, he's talking about restarting the construction of two nuclear power plants, extending the lives of some aging nuclear power plants. And um, and he's he's pledged to embrace nuclear power as a more cost-effective energy option uh, for for South Korea. He's also looking to develop renewables in parallel, uh, particularly solar as part of a, a broader decarbonisation path. And um, coal coal will be continue to be phased out. Coal is still not popular. And but the future of LNG looks a little less certain under under this new president, uh, Mr. Yoon. And uh, it remains to be seen what what will happen there. And South Korea's, uh, I think, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the third largest importer of LNG. Um, so, so, so that that's interesting. And we also have Japan, uh, the world's second biggest importer of LNG. I think I think China stole the crown last year. And and there's also in, increased noise about restarting nuclear power there obviously we had the fukushima nuclear meltdown nearly 10 years ago or over 10 years ago and a lot of uh, japan's nuclear fleet was shut down but the combination of surging energy prices um inflation uh, the cost of imported energy is going through the roof in japan as the yen is weakening against the us dollar of course energy is priced primarily in us dollars making it more expensive and and crucially, if in the past few weeks there was a um, some tremors knocked out uh, oil and gas power plants in, in Tokyo, and I think that has highlighted the energy security issues and shifted uh, public opinion towards you know, restarting nuclear again. Um, so it, it, it's interesting. I think there's also the cost element. We so the guy in Korea, the new president, he he's you know I think there's a report by Fitch. And um, they were noting how the, the LNG imports, the future of it remains uncertain, especially with the current backdrop of soaring global prices and geopolitical risks, making it a highly appealing popular populist message to call for a future away from, from LNG. Although Fitch does point out that in the short term, that's not very practical. So, so for the next five years, we're, uh, I'm pretty sure we're still going to see South Korea imp- importing a, a lot of LNG. And, and then just to... To cap things off, uh, back in Japan, 
Nobuo Tanaka, the former, former executive director of the International Energy Agency, said in a recent interview, uh, there is a strong tailwind for nuclear power at this moment. And if Japan restarts nuclear, the country's utilities could resell spare LNG gas to Europe, which, which seems to be quite popular in the news these days, doesn't it? Everyone's going to send their LNG to Europe straight away. I think it's a, a bit misleading. But, um, but yeah, overall, I think it's interesting that nuclear appears to be a you know, acceptable look at having a revival, I should say. Absolutely. It, do, it does seem to be coming back, but I suppose it's, it's, it's it, obviously there's a kind of a question around price, but looking at that sort of South Korea example, um, when, what, what, what made South Korea move away from nuclear in the first place? I mean, obviously, I suppose, you know, with Japan, uh, obviously there's a Fukushima impact. And I think, you know, clearly we saw this, a, a sort of a similar thing happening in, in Germany in particular, but, but so did, did Fukushima also have the same impact in South Korea or was it a different, uh, was it a different issue? Yeah, I believe so. I think it was safety issues. I think after Fukushima, there was much more um, focus and attention on on nuclear operations worldwide. And in Korea, there was some there were some safety issues. I can't recall what exactly they were that were were found in the reactors, and so they started shutting them down. And um, yeah, effectively, it was safety issues. And, and presumably, it's a sort of a a, a, a positive kind of political message if 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 the new president being elected with this sort of plea to to, to move away from high-priced lng yeah i think so and another another thing to note is that south korea is one of the biggest shipbuilders in the world and, and build a lot of the lng ships and infrastructure so there's you know there's a there's a strong business and political elite there that want to see lng still play a big part in south korea and um, they have vested interest in the whole LNG industry globally because they build a lot of the infrastructure for it. Um, but, um, uh, sorry, I, I forgot. Where, where were we going? What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Just about, the, sort of the, about, about, about to what extent it was a kind of a political, a, a change of political power. I suppose the question yeah. really is, if if if, the, if this guy's just got back in with a sort of a pledge to to restart sort of a nuclear power and, and and really move that sort of back front and center, come the next election, is there a risk that you know the the pendulum swings back the other way and and and, and those sort of new nuclear plants that you know will be sort of how many more years down the line are then in danger of getting shut down again? Yeah, I mean, I think five years is a long time. I think once the nu the way I see things happening, I think once nuclear power gets restarted, I don't think. I think energy security is going to remain front and centre in many parts of the world, particularly North Asia. I think the price of gas and LNG is is making is to, you know it's causing demand destruction in the poorer parts of Asia that can't really, you know Bangladesh etc. that Pakistan that can't really afford it. Um, so I, I don't think I don't think the nuclear policy will get rewound over the next few years. And there's also a push in Korea. There's a lot more activism in in Korea than other parts of Asia. Like um, there's a, there's a push against or there's activism against the big Korean gas companies and, and finances that are financing LNG projects. Say in Australia, in particular, Santos's Barossa project. You know, they're arguing. You know, we're supposed to be going green. We're supposed to be going to net zero 2050 or whatever it is in south korea south korea is quite serious about all that and so there's been a lot of court cases against these companies and another latest move is some aborigines in australia taking the export credit agencies to court over the barossa gas project 
Um, so there's all there's other there's other things that aren't going in LNG's favor in in you know in the in the public opinion. I think in South Korea. So yeah, I don't think they're going to ditch LNG. I don't think it's possible. But I do think we're going to see um, nuclear make a, a significant comeback. And um, uh, you know, I think the LNG market is, is you'll probably discuss later is very tight. And you know having nuclear as well as LNG is very good from an energy security point of view. Sure, sure, sure. And and, and also, I suppose, in a sort of a net zero sense, right, I suppose, you know, moving away from, uh, from obviously LNG, there are still emissions. And, you know, depending on, on, on who's counting them, possibly quite high emissions, higher than, than pipelines in some regards. Just, I suppose, on that sort of net zero front, obviously, uh, South Korea and Japan also have big hopes about, about moves to hydrogen, uh, ammonia, and, and sort of imports of those. Do you think that um, that, that their existing uh, LNG infrastructure could be kind of retooled to to, to take those uh, those those cargos of, of zero emission fuels? Yeah, I think that's the plan. I mean, South Korea and Japan—they're both cooperating you know, very deeply with Australia and LNG producers in Australia, and I think the idea is to to utilize that LNG transport train train that sorry that has been built up over the past few decades to ship you know, uh, hydrogen and hopefully green hydrogen eventually to to these countries. I, I know Woodside is working closely with South Korea. They're even involved in converting the the, the bus networks to hydrogen. Um, they're, they're involved in, hyd- you know, the Koreans and Japanese are involved in hydrogen projects in Australia. The, the, the world's first liquid hydrogen shipment, I think, left Australia late last year or early this year for Japan. So so that's all going on and, and all, all, all in the pipeline. Fantastic. Well, I think that's probably a good point at which to pause, uh, but we'll come back after, after a quick break and, and, and discuss a little bit more about LNG. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed, and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Following on from uh, Damon's discussion about LNG and, and, and possibly the sort of the worsening prospects in, uh, in, in, in Asia, the European uh, market is, is very different. I mean, it's, it's been really fascinating to see, uh, again, uh, I suppose, you know, in, in that way that we uh, are seeing maybe Asia about from Japan and South Korea moving away from LNG. The, the, the move in, in Europe is very much away from uh, pipeline gas from, from Russia, or at least trying to find out ways to do that. And I think as a result of this, we're seeing uh, an incredible increase in, uh, in, in interest uh, in meeting this new demand from, uh, from, from North America, from the US in particular. The US, just to remind you, is now, I believe, the world's largest LNG producer. 
and it's really come from nowhere. I think it began this kind of current uh, wave of, of, of LNG exports just I think it was just six years ago. So it, it's 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 an incredible uh, change in, in, in how it's kind of just jumped forwards, uh, largely on the back of it, that excess uh, gas coming from that shale gas revolution. So so the latest instance of this, uh, Tellurian has has given uh, Bechtel the uh, a sort of a, a notice to proceed. So Bechtel's uh, sort of started uh, clearing the site at the Driftwood LNG plant in Louisiana. And uh, the plan is they're going to try and reach uh, first LNG in 2026. Obviously, there are you know always questions about, about how uh, that may or may not happen. So we have seen some, some challenges in the past. Uh, hurricanes are sometimes an issue. And obviously, I suppose... Given a, a new boom in construction, there are going to be new demands on on, on logistic chains and, and challenges in that regard. But there, it's it's an incredible sort of demonstration of uh, of intent from uh, Tellurian, which has kind of come forward in this plan. And the that's the first phase is 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 two trains, and that's going to be exporting around eleven million tons of uh, LNG per year. Uh, and then uh, the, the the final sort of uh, bigger. Full plant operations. I think they're, they're they're aiming for about 28 million tons per year. Just to kind of put that in in perspective, uh, that is more than Nigeria exports. Um, it is uh, more than Mozambique is planning to export. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a really significant amount of energy that's going to be coming from just this single plant. And obviously, a lot of this uh, this this new interest is is driven by Europe. Um, in particular, you know, Germany has suddenly, as we've discussed before, you know, the 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 point at which Russia invaded Ukraine has has really made people reconsider uh, energy security considerations. And and obviously, uh, you know, the the the, the idea of, uh, worries around uh, Russian supplies into Europe have, have existed for many years. And you know, we've seen report after report in the in the EU about this uh, supply reliance. And it seems that you know, finally, uh, governments in the EU have have, have kind of come to realise that this isn't actually uh, just something that that reports should be written about. That that action should actually be taken on. So there is this this move into LNG, but on the other hand, you know there there is also this kind of question around around net zero, around cutting emissions, and there have been some quite interesting uh, statements uh, saying that actually building new LNG infrastructure is not going to be the answer, um, given the, the 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 this challenge to move away from fossil fuels. We, we, we've been seeing a strong push, uh, you know, so IRENA, for instance, this week, uh, the uh, Middle Eastern-based uh, International Renewables Energy Agency uh, came out and said um, that the, the, the no new LNG uh, infrastructure should be built, that this was going to be stranded assets. Based on that, on that, on that drive to move away from uh, from fossil fuels. Um, so, so you know, really, they, 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 and others. I suppose some people at Carbon Free Europe also saying a similar things, saying that Europe should be instead of you know investing in new LNG infrastructure, that the emphasis should be on on renewables and nuclear power. And I suppose it's this kind of question about short term 
goals versus that sort of longer term or even medium term plan to, to, to move away and move towards net zero. I thought it was interesting your piece though with it. Was it Ursula von der Leyen saying that a lot of this uh, new LNG infrastructure could be repurposed in, in 5, 10, 15 years time for, for hydrogen and for, for low carbon fuels? So I, I understand that point about stranded assets and I know it's a really significant problem for investors as they look where they're going to put their cash. But there's that kind of long term planning around how these assets can be adapted um then hopefully that should kind of quell a few of those words I mean, it's perhaps similar to a lot of the stuff going on in the north sea with uh, with assets that actually could be per- repurposed for carbon capture and storage um so they've got more legs on them than simply the fossil fuel era i suppose if you want to call it that um but I, on that uh, driftwoods lng plant Ed, i mean are is there a big drive to keep a lot of that uh, in the US as well? Is um, energy security as hot a topic there as, as it is in the UK and, and as Davis says, as, as it is in South Korea and Japan? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think you know there is uh, you know whip. It's, it's it's really interesting to see the ways in which you know opinion polls are turning against uh, President Biden, for instance. Uh, largely result of, of of high oil prices, which in America, because there's very low taxes on fuel, really f- you know feed directly into into the the prices people pay at the pump, and obviously uh, they have lower fuel efficiency standards than than we do, and and obviously also historically uh, just a much lower prices, and so I think that that does play a part. I think we are seeing an extent. To an extent, there there is kind of questions around, you know, should the US be exporting this these volumes of gas, and it's a and and you know we have seen Henry Hub that kind of key US benchmark moving upwards, but it's still nowhere near you know Asian or or, or European prices. So there is a still a, a very appealing uh, arbitrage there between uh, low priced uh, US production and, and 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 sort of foreign demand. I suppose you know the the, the the argument has been made that uh, it's a question of to what extent you know supply is constrained and and people have said that actually increasing exports incentivizes additional drilling and production essentially in these in these shale fields and and and, and so there's there's an extent to which there isn't maybe such a strong uh, kind of supply crunch in the US as, as there is in other places, but it it is still something that you know, for instance, unions sometimes complain about 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 high prices. Uh, but I think really the, the the question in the US is more about um, about oil prices and and the ways in which obviously they have uh, that's so incredibly volatile over the last kind of couple of months, right? I mean, I think you know, reaching one hundred and forty. And now, you know, sort of obviously falling off from those highs, it's it that that is a concern for for the US. And I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of kind of political questions around should there be more, you know, SPR releases? Uh, should there be some sort of response? I think I suppose, you know, governments all over the world, you know, feel in moments of crisis that there is a need to do something, isn't there? And I think, you know, you could say the same about some of these European governments, you know, the, 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 the those German plans for those two LNG terminals. 
obviously, in the short term, you know, we'll be able to secure LNG cargoes. Not in that short term. It's going to take a couple of years to build them. But it's, you know, it's kind of a relatively short term that, you know, they will be able to bring in LNG there. But in the longer term, you know, as you said, you know, hydrogen or ammonia or, or, or some other sort of uh, net zero kind of a cargo could, could, could be brought in through the, that same infrastructure. But I think the important thing is now that the German government has... Is, is sort of proving that it's willing to sort of step up and do something. And I think that's really what people want to see, isn't it? And people want to see their governments sort of responding to these sort of energy security issues. And and, and I think, you know, the set, you know, you know, looking at that sort of this sort of EU uh, US talks that we saw last week with um, President Biden coming out and saying that you know the US would provide a sort of 15 BCM of, of, of LNG to, to, to Europe. Obviously, he's not at a point where he can actually, you know, redirect cargoes to Europe. Uh, he's, you know, just sort of essentially just sort of saying that that the US is sort of standing with the EU and and obviously just trying to sort of secure future kind of commercial talks, which I think you know is important and 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 there is a lot to be said for that. So you know there there is there is a, um, a sort of a degree of sort of political hand waving, isn't there? Where uh, which. Clearly, we want to see and, and, and we like to see that happening. There is, yeah. And I think, <clears throat> interesting, that point about Germany kind of um, setting its stock in LNG. There are, I think there are, is there any EU-wide commitment at the moment to try and bolster gas reserves up to, to try and almost fill them up by um, by November to try and ease prices next winter? So in that, well, hoping that the uh, the cold weather that we're certainly experiencing doesn't last too long, but they'll need to start ramping that up pretty soon if they're going to fill up these fill up these reserves i mean i know that it's 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 perhaps reserves aren't as high as people would want them to be i think germany tops the list in that italy's quite high up there as well um so it would be a well hopefully it'd be a good way of ensuring that we don't see these fluctuations that we've seen in the last six months maybe the uk could follow tack there's the island mcgee project over in over in northern ireland that's looking at gas storage but other than that a lot of it's now looking kind of further towards hydrogen this hydrogen storage projects so maybe these might get repurposed in the in the short term to to try and pick up a bit of the slack don't know it, it, it yeah it, it would be nice wouldn't it i mean sort of talking about sort of uh, political justice it would be nice to see the uh uk government sort of stepping in and and, and sort of making the case for uh for some sort of uh you know more 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 in the ways of gas storage but you know clearly we i don't i don't, I don't feel that we've seen that quite yet and but you know maybe maybe that's uh, something something that we can look forward to i think i think probably this is a good point to to to, to pause the conversation but we'll be back after this short break Energy Voice presents Tracking Transition, CCUS. Carbon capture, utilisation and storage is an essential solution for the world to reach net zero, helping to eliminate emissions from industries such as energy, steel, cement and chemicals. Established infrastructure and vast offshore storage capacity gives the UK a strategic advantage. This will be key to the UK's push towards net zero by 2050, and the UK can act as a springboard for CCUS development around Europe. CCUS, the latest in our Tracking Transition series, kicks off on May the 9th, with Session 1 focusing on the UK and Europe. Together with our principal partner, SSE Thermal, we will analyse the UK's expanding CCUS sector and the rich export opportunities it will generate. There will also be a focus on developments in other European countries and the emerging synergies across the industry. Register free for this virtual event at trackingccus.com. 
www.hamishpodcast.com. So, Hamish, uh, it, it feels like it wouldn't be uh, an episode of, of Energy Voice Out Loud if we didn't at least mention Cambo. So, uh, please bring us up to date. Uh, what has been going on? Yeah, it's, uh, what did we write about before Cambo or speak about before Cambo? It kind of feels like it's so long ago now that we're before all this hullabaloo. But yeah, never a dull day um, where it comes to the west of Shetland at the moment. So, for this latest chapter in the uh, the ongoing tale of... The, uh, the little west of Shetland field that could. It looks like Cambo could be uh, back on the menu, boys. Uh, the licenses that cover the fields, they were due to expire today. They've now been extended by the North Sea Transition Authority. Uh, that's formerly the OGA. Uh, and I think many were hoping that today would be the day in which the, the coffin lid was slammed shut, that they wouldn't be extended and that, that Sicker Point would walk away from the project. But not so. Sicker Point now has two, an extra two years to decide how it wants to play it. Um, the extension, interestingly, you can read things into this if you so choose to, but it was uh, announced rather quietly. Alistair spotted it on the Oslo Stock Exchange. Um, not much of a fanfare around it at all. Um, I spoke to one person who suggested that was to, to try and uh, avoid the, the wrath of environmentalists, but potentially, maybe. don't know. Um, so Sicker Point said it will continue to work with its co-venture Shell and the UK government to map out the next steps on Cambo. So Shell, which it thought uh, it was thought had dealt the final blow to the project back in December, um, when it said it wouldn't be progressing it, it said recently it's mapping out its next steps. Um, it says its position hasn't changed, so as it stands, it is still walking away. But there is speculation that it could get stuck back in. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that. But the environment for doing so is um, certainly more attractive now than it was in December um, in that kind of post-COP world. Like we've talked quite a lot about seismic shifts in political opinion, public opinion and, and government policy. We're certainly seeing a big one in the UK as energy security is really coming to the fore. Um, and so governments are looking to fast track these North Sea projects. Obviously, the oil price is a lot healthier, um, which just intrinsically makes these projects a bit a bit more uh, appealing, especially with Shell pointed to the economics for it pulling out in the first instance. So we'll see how that plan, uh, pans out. Um, and obviously, this was an extension that was not uh, popular with climate campaigners, <laughs> um, to put it mildly. Uh, Friends of the Earth Scotland said it merely delays the inevitable rejection of the fields um, and it said it keeps it on life support. Uh, Tessa Khan from Uplift, um, she's also part of the, the Stop Cambo initiative that was was uh, really kind of part of the discussion around the fields in uh, around the same time as COP. Um, she described it as a scandal that Westminster still backs new oil and gas fields uh, and Greenpeace. Also, too, weren't particularly happy about what's going on. Um, on the flip side of that, OEUK, they welcomed the decision. They said it will help to protect energy security. That was something that we had their um, business outlook reports that came out on Tuesday morning uh, and a business breakfast to go along with that. And Deirdre Mickey was really kind of stressing that point that energy security is now a, a facet of national security. They're, in, they're entwined and we really need to start kind of promoting domestic supplies because for the first time ever last year Norway became the UK's um, or more Norwegian gas was used in UK supplies than UK gas was so that was a kind of a bit of a watershed moment um, and might even just contribute further to this this change in thinking that we're seeing as as gas prices go through the roof. Um, we did round up our usual 
band of analysts uh, to comment on the Cambo situation. So thank you all to them for for their willingness to <laughs> always help us out, considering we're at their door, I think, every week at the moment, asking for a di- <laughs> different updates. Um, but they all kind of said it was the likely... It wasn't really a surprise. We ran a piece last month that said, with many commentators said that an extension was the the most likely um, kind of event. Or um, yeah, so but the kind of big take was that it will allow Sicker Point more time to decide what it wants to do, whether it, Shell wants to progress with it, whether it wants to look for a new partner. Um, it's now got that time to play with. Uh, there's not being not being rushed into a decision. It was also kind of the points made uh, Ashley Kelty from Pamia Gordon said um, just after the, well, with the ongoing war in Ukraine and the commitment to phase out Russian crudes, it makes sense in that um, in that vein as well. And Ganice Energy saying that even kind of with the most ambitious forecast for phasing out oil and gas, it's still a part of the system from 2030s onwards. Um, but that Cambo should be done in an environmentally responsible manner or as, as far as that's possible. So at the moment, it's still, we're, we're perhaps not that much further along than we were. The project is still not for certain a goer, but it's uh, got more life in it now than it did a few months ago, certainly. It does It does feel like the world has changed since COP, doesn't it? I mean, I think, you know, people have made the that, that sort of point where, uh, you know, a cop, uh, the oil industry was kind of, it, it was largely felt like uh, pariahs. And now uh, I think the, um, was it the uh, the UAE energy minister who said that now uh, now the oil industry was uh, with, with, with the superheroes. Uh, but it, it it does feel like there's a kind of a bit of a bit of a bit of a change, doesn't it, in the air? I, you, you, I mean, you you you've also uh, written this week about about Buzzard and 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 the, uh, the the Chinese. And I was I was interested in that because I saw that uh, Scenic was also uh, you know has has made declarations that they're that they're staying with uh, Arctic LNG two that sort of big uh, Russian uh, LNG export project with uh, with Novatech and and Total Energies. Total Energies obviously uh, putting putting its participation in in that project on hold at least for the moment. But I, I I wonder maybe you could shed some light on that on that on that buzzard piece and and I suppose maybe about why 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 was China why was why was a Chinese NOC there in the first place and why they might be getting out? Yeah, so it looks like reports in, in Reuters that it looks like CNOC is they've drafted in Bank of America to to look to try and sell their North Sea assets. Um, there was at the moment it's just speculation about why they're doing this, but it seems. To try and distance itself from from the West, obviously that that China uh, China USA piece is the, the tensions there are prominent and they're probably going to remain so for a long time. Um, it's a strategic shift, I believe, is what CNOC called it. So they're looking to kind of amalgamate their interests into into projects a bit closer to home and those which are perhaps maybe have more life beyond Buzzard or the Buzzard. It, it, it could well produce through to twenty forty. So. It seems an interesting time to pull out. Buzzard Phase 2 came on stream just before the turn of the year. So you would think that having pumped millions into that, they might want to reap some of the rewards, especially with this high oil price. But perhaps this is just a pretty good indication of quite how far the Chinese government is willing to go to pull out of the West and to distance itself from from Western governments in that it's put so much time and effort into this project and is now... It will see the rewards of it in a certain regard, in that it will probably get a fetch a pretty nice price for Buzzard, especially with the oil price where it is. But 
it seems like there's a, we've, we can call this episode changes in uh, changes in attitudes or something, but it seems like given a few years ago where the Chinese government were quite looking quite expansionist, um, and I think when they when they moved into the North Sea, um, it was one of the biggest. I think it was their biggest foreign deal at the time when they acquired these assets um, from a Canadian producer. Um, they're now starting to roll back on that, um, and whether this is a long term trend remains to be seen. It, given the kind of ongoing tensions and, and countries looking to distance themselves from countries like China and Russia in certain regards and with focus on producing domestic energy and, and things like that, there's every indication that suggests it might be. Um, but that's a huge a huge piece of news to see that CNOC might well not be out of the North Sea and these are some really attractive assets that could soon be up for grabs. Damon, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, looking at that sort of uh, Chinese uh, NOC piece, I mean, do you think that uh, there, there is a bit of a sort of a re-evaluation going on in uh, Beijing? Yeah, I mean, I, re- I remember the deal back in 2011. I, I'm trying to recall exactly what it was all about, but I think, well, was it? They, they were interested really in the North American assets, I think, and the North Sea assets were kind of like the, the added bonus, if I, if I recall correctly. I, mean, I could be wrong. But, um, but putting that aside, I, I, think, I think there's some, you know, I can believe what, what people are saying, that perhaps the, the Chinese are trying to get out of the, the West's orbit. I would say specifically the UK, because the UK is appears to be best buddies with the US, who is kind of, you know, in some ways an enemy of China. And we have this kind of, you know, okay, Ukraine and the humanitarian conflict or the, the, the human casualties of the war make make the news. But but what some people suggest is really we're having a, a financial war going on between the West and Russia and, and, and China, China along with Russia and, you know, and, and particularly as we've seen uh, you know, Russia demanding payment for energy and rubles, etc. So I think China, they don't want to, they wouldn't want to be caught uh, with assets that the UK could seize. It, you know, the UK, you know, if I was in Beijing, that would, you, know, you wouldn't put it past the UK government to just go and seize your assets, the, the buzzard field or whatever else in the North Sea or whatever else the Chinese have, uh, because they did something which the UK and America deemed was not, not playing by their rules how the west sees it so yeah i think for sure it's quite plausible that the chinese are selling a because maybe it doesn't strategically fit and b you know they don't want to have what's just happened to russia when they all russia's foreign currency reserves were effectively seized i mean um yeah it's uh it, it's a difficult one yeah, sure, sure, sure. I, I suppose the, the, the one sort of interesting uh, kind of counterbalance to that argument is that we are still seeing, aren't we, sort of Chinese companies uh, striking long-term LNG deals with uh, US producers. I saw another one this week uh, with, I think it was ENN and Energy Transfer. And, you know, really sort of, and it's, those are sort of the, the sorts of deals that, that, that the EU should be striking, aren't they? That they, they should be kind of seizing that opportunity to try and you know secure long-term uh, long-term supplies uh, obviously that, that's what they failed to do historically and you know there's been all this sort of talk from governments you know about sort of new uh, new energy security and yet you know we're still not seeing uh, European companies sort of stepping up in that regard but yeah as you said Ed, I mean the Chinese walk the walk right and then the Europeans seem to do a lot of talking <laughs> I was just coming back to Damon's point there on uh, the buying those assets yeah so there was 
in that part of that deal with, uh, to acquire Next, and there were, there were assets in uh, in Canada and the Gulf of Mexico as well. So that might well be that it gave it a China a footprint there. And there was there was a really interesting comment. I think it popped up in a magazine again recently. Um, but it was a was one of China's energy minister maybe ten years ago or something that said that oil rigs were kind of their their way of. Uh, getting footprints in, in other countries and it was kind of compared to a, almost a colonialist statement. So it's uh, interesting to see that that's now perhaps not the uh, not the way that they're viewing it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, we could uh, probably do an entire uh, podcast just about uh, the intersection between uh, Chinese foreign policy and its commercial interests. I mean, I've got a lot to say about it from an African perspective. But listen, guys, we're out of time. I'm afraid I'm going to have to knock it on the head right here. Um, so... Thank you, Hamish. Thank you, Damon. I've been Ed Reed. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.